When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Total SF and our Will Clark episode interviewing the Giants legend about all things San Francisco. Incredible conversation. Will the Thrill deserves every moment of our attention in this episode. But first, we have some absolutely necessary new business. Heather, Total SF Movie Night is back. Yes. Unlucky number 13, Total SF Movie Night is Sneakers. 7 p.m. Thursday, August 25th at the Balboa. I hear that Norton Yitzit will be there. Norton Yitzit will be there. He has confirmed. And I know I've said this before. My track record isn't perfect, but I think you're really going to like this movie, Heather. It's a technological caper thriller comedy with an incredible cast. Robert Redford, Sidney Poitier, River Phoenix. Uh, I think this is going to be one of our better movies. I've never seen it, but the three of them, I'm sold. Well, don't wait. Get your tickets now. Our movies sell out. Second piece of new business. We've gotten some wonderful calls on our new Total SF phone line, 415-777-7413 to leave us a message. We may use it in a future podcast. You could win a Total SF t-shirt. And finally, Will Clark, we got to interview him right before his Saturday, July 30th, Jersey retirement at Oracle Park. I was looking forward to this episode so much, Heather. Me too. And I was super excited that we got to record it in the Tony Bennett suite, which is at the very edge of the stadium, right over the bay. Beautiful views, lots of pictures and historical artifacts of Tony Bennett. And to be there while we're interviewing Will the Thrill was definitely a highlight. Yeah, I mean, I kind of gush a little bit later in the podcast. I really tried to hold it in to keep things from getting awkward. But I feel like Will Clark just defined fandom in San Francisco to a degree when he showed Showed up a little bit cocky, but confident in a way that kind of changed the Giants. And really, I think we're still feeling it today. You and I both grew up watching Will Clark play first base for the Giants. He was um, such a great team member, cocky back then. I will say he's a little bit cocky still, but he was such a great conversation and he deserves to be a little bit cocky. He's only number 11 to ever have their number retired with the San Francisco Giants in their entire franchise history. Yeah, and on the Total SF podcast, we talk about his first visit to San Francisco, what it was like to be a fish out of water. He's a hunting and fishing guy from Louisiana. Uh, He tells a great story about his answering machine. Wait for that. And we brought him Chronicle front pages from the Sporting Green. We kind of just handed them to him, and he told great stories. Check out our Twitter feeds for sure. Uh, I think Heather shot some video, and um, we'll have that to go along with the podcast. Another excellent episode, Heather. Super excited. We're on a roll. Go Giants. Go Giants. I'm Peter Hartlob here with Heather Knight. Will the Thrill is coming up, and this is Total SF. Thank you very much.
Welcome to Total SF, Will Clark, and welcome to Oracle Park. Uh, last year you played was 2000 when this park opened. Did you get to play here? I did not get to play here. Uh, I got traded to the St. Louis Cardinals, and the Cardinals had finished playing the Giants by that time, so I did not uh, play in this ballpark. Yeah. What do you think of it coming back? Oh, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. Uh, now doing what I do for the Giants, I've been kind of all over the ballpark. Uh, I've, I've visited every one of the suites and been on the concourses and seen the unbelievable food and you know the merchandise stands and all that and and it really is a special place to play baseball. Did you get food when you were? <laughs> did you ever try the food at Candlestick Park? Because I was there a lot. I'm wondering if anybody ever like passed you down some of the the helmet nachos. No, or they did not. I, I appreciate I appreciate it, but no, we were. Um, you know, I was always too busy on the field, so I did not get a chance to get any of the food at Candlestick. But uh, I know that uh, on those absolutely miserable nights, the uh, hot chocolate was a hot commodity. <laughs> Looking back when you were a kid, did you ever visit San Francisco with your family or as a tourist? No, I did not. The first time I came to San Francisco was when I got drafted. And, um, you know, I basically did my press conference here. That was the first time I had ever been, you know, to San Francisco. What were your first impressions of the city? Uh, you know what? Uh, the, the city itself, it was, uh, it was big, you know, <laughs> from, from where I came from. I came from New Orleans. And, uh, you know, so, so being... Uh, I guess you want to say Southern and coming out West was, was completely different. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, um, we, I did come to San Francisco once during my college career. I was actually on the Olympic team in 84, but it, we literally flew in, we played the ball game and then we flew right back out. So that was the only time that I was in San Francisco prior to my signing. You remember the box score that day? How'd you do? Uh, I know I hit a homer. Um, (laughs) I don't don't know what the box score was, though, but I remember hitting a homer in Camelster. San Francisco's a long way from Louisiana, and we were losing like 100 games a year. I I was there. (laughs) Were you excited to come here? Number two pick, I think Texas picked right before. What did you think about coming to San Francisco and the Giants at that time? I was was fired up. Uh, Yeah, the the Giants lost 100 games in uh, 1985, which was my draft year. And uh, the Milwaukee Brewers picked first. They they chose B.J. Serhoff. He was a he was a teammate of mine on the Olympic team. And uh, so then the Giants came along with the number two pick and uh, chose me. And I was I was fired up because uh, you know they had had uh, space available as far as first base went. And uh, you know I got into the minor league system, played pretty well in the minor league system, and was in the big leagues the next year. So uh, you know it was kind of a meteoric rise to the top. Did you feel a little bit of like a fish out of water? I'm thinking like like Eddie Murphy and Beverly Hills Cop going to Beverly Hills. You know, how did you feel coming from Louisiana and ending up here? Uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty ad- adaptable, uh, and so for me personally, I I didn't mind it at all. Uh, matter of fact, if anything, believe it or not, I I love the weather. Um, I'm a I'm an outdoorsman. I like the cool weather, and uh, so you know, playing at Candlestick, some of those miserable nights. Uh, that was taking it to the next level, but, you know, just, just going around the city and enjoying the cool weather, you know, cause we'd go on the road, you know, and you play on the road, you'd be in St. Louis or Pittsburgh and it'd be a thousand degrees, you know, and you come back here and it kind of refreshed you. Yeah. Your first at bat is legend, a home run against Nolan Ryan. But do you remember your first game at Candlestick Park? I do. Uh, not only, not only like we talked about, um, you know, uh, on the Olympic team playing here, but my first game at Candlestick because we opened up 
on the road in Houston. And when I got back to Candlestick, I actually, in the first game at Candlestick, I hit another homer. So, wow. uh, yeah, so uh, Candlestick uh, held a very special place for me. Um, you know, I, you know, there are a lot of people that did not like to play there. I was quite the opposite. I really enjoyed playing there and I really enjoyed hitting there. And uh, it made for a very quick eight or nine years of my life. <laughs> Do you wish you'd gotten to play here, kind of a fancier ballpark? You know what? It, it, that's completely different. Uh, the fans in Candlestick, you know, uh, they they were a, a very hardy breed, shall we say. They had to put up with all the craziness that we had to put up with on the field. Um, you know, when you come into this ballpark, it is absolutely special. Uh, you know, there's so many like little nuances, you know, that, you know, the players would enjoy, you know, hitting a ball into McCovey Cove or something like that. And, uh, you know, so you would, you would enjoy stuff like that. But my time at Candlestick, uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So I, I'm wondering, uh, I'm looking through and I brought the Chronicle Will Clark file. This is about a third of it. Um, we have, we, it it's, it's, like about, it's about an inch thick. Plus we have all the negatives too. Um, we're going to show you a few photos along the way, but I found this one of you hunting. Yes. I got to wonder, like, where was that? Did you get to do some hunting and fishing here? Were there, I did. Was it, was it able to, were you able to do Louisiana things here? I, I, I certainly did. Uh, I had a, uh, a bunch of guys that I really hung out with a lot. Uh, that were outdoorsmen, and uh, they did a lot of hunting and fishing over in the Fairfield area, so basically the Sassoon Marsh, and uh, and so that's where that picture was taken right there. I know exactly where that one was taken. <laughs> uh, and and you were uh, living in, and I we were talking about it before the podcast. You were living Burlingame. I, I'm from Burlingame, San Mateo area. Um, was that just like a place to crash, or did you get to spend some time there? You know what I mean. I, I kind of use it as a as a place to crash because I spent most of the time at the ballpark. Um, for a seven o'clock game, I was there at at one o'clock. Yeah. So you know, for me, uh, I spent a lot of time at the ballpark. But being <clears throat> beings as we needed to have easy access to the airport because we were flying a lot of times from the east coast, getting in really early in the morning. I didn't feel like you know driving into the city, so I stayed in Burlingame and uh, really got to know you know, that area and down the peninsula a lot. And so till this day, whenever I come into town, I always make it down the peninsula, visit several friends, go out to lunch, stuff like that. Nice. Uh, I, I swear I saw you a few times. I, I thought it was a couple times in a movie theater. <laughs> I was alone. You were alone. I didn't say anything to you because my parents brought me up not to do that. But am I imagining that or, or is that a possibility? Hey, it might have been a possibility. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I uh, there were there was uh you know, time that you needed to just kind of, I guess you want to say, get away a little yeah. bit. And so that would be, you know, watching a movie is peace and quiet and getting away before you got to come to the ballpark and get back in, in gear again. Your nickname, Will the Thrill, must be one of the best all-time baseball nicknames. <laughs> Who came up with it? That would be Mike Kruko and Bob Brenly. That was in uh, spring training. And uh, I don't know, they, they, those two crazies, they came up <laughs> with nicknames for everybody. And, uh, it just, you know, I mean, it rhymed, it fit. And, <laughs> Did you like it right away? I, I liked it right away. I mean, I loved it. And uh, and it just stuck. And then and the more things you did on the field, you know, the fans really got into it too. And, uh, you know, there's there's several people till this day that just call me Thrill. You know, they don't, they don't even call me Will or anything. Hey, Thrill, you know. I'm like, all right. You still have that on your answering machine. I read a Herb <laughs> Cain item. The, the thrill is gone. I yep. think you were singing it. Yeah, too. no, 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 no. So, so the story was, 
uh, Vita Blue, who is from Louisiana as well, he was uh, my locker roomie, basically. So he was in the locker right next to me in the clubhouse. And, uh, you know, he, he came up to me one day. He says, hey, you got an answer machine at the house? And I was like, yeah. He says, here, put this on it. And it was B.B. Uh, King, you know, the thrill is gone. <laughs> and so we, uh, we, we went on one of those, uh, as I mentioned earlier, East Coast trips. We were going about 10 days, and I got back, and I had like – 72 missed calls and it was all my idiot friends from at home going hey dude we didn't want anything we just wanted to listen to the song you know so i I actually had to take that off because i kept getting all the (laughs) hang-ups well we were devastated when the giants didn't keep you um you know on behalf of the fans i was really sad about it i i've thought over the years how you must have felt um was that something that took you a while to get over uh, once you were in Texas, were you able to kind of lock in there or, or was it, was it hard leaving, leaving this area? You know, I, I think that that off season, you know, it was, it was kind of tough cause you know, you felt betrayed cause I really wanted to stay a giant for my whole career. And, and I, you know, I told them during negotiations that, you know, I would take a lot less money to stay here and just be here for the rest of my career. And it just didn't work out that way. The, the business side of baseball can be really ugly. And so, you know, a little bit, a little bit stung, I guess you want to say, during that off season. But then, you know, once I got on the field the next year with the with the Rangers, I was fine. Yeah, I, I'm I'm looking through this Will Clark file from the Chronicle, and so many of the photos is you interacting with fans, goofing around. This is one of my favorites. I think you're behind a camera here. Uh. Yeah, I'm behind a camera. I, I would always do that. I'd I'd go put the headset on and and go. Uh, I guess you want to say show it to everybody and. Uh, you know, I'd zoom in on people and all that, and and some of the fans really enjoyed me being over there and messing with them. Your last year playing in 2000, I mean, talk about going out on top. I think yep. you hit 319 in the 400s on base percentage, <laughs> 21 home runs. Was it a hard decision to retire? No, not at all. Um, we had seen a lot of improvement in my son uh, the previous offseason. He uh, was autistic at that time. And, uh, you know, seeing his improvement, me being around a lot more, uh, made it more special. And so I got traded from Baltimore. I was swinging about well in Baltimore, and then I got traded to St. Louis, and I just went off for three months in St. Louis. And uh, so I said, you know, at that time, the Cardinals approached me and said, hey, we'd like to sign you back. But uh, Mark McGuire is going to come back as our first baseman. So, you know, you're going to have to be an outfielder or a utility guy. And I was like, you know, that's the old dog, new tricks thing. And so I decided to go ahead and retire. And, uh, you know, I've always said this. I, you know, if you're going to go out, go out on top. Go on out top of the mountain. Don't, don't go out trying to get to the top of the mountain. And uh, for me, going out that way and looking back on it, it's the best decision I ever made. What was that year like? That first year, you got to spend time with your son. And, yeah. I mean, I mean, it was it was you know, yeah. I mean, you miss the the interaction with the guys in the clubhouse, so you know you miss that, or you miss the routine that you've had for you know fifteen years of your life. But also at the same time, you know, your family is your priority, and that was my priority at that time. We'll be right back after this short break. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. 
starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. What does having number 22 retired mean to you? Oh, my. Uh, you know, this organization's been around almost 140 years, and there's 11 numbers retired. And to be up there on the board with 11 of the greatest that have ever been, and especially in this historical franchise, it's it's absolute beyond belief. I mean, for me being up there, the it's the ultimate compliment for me looking back on my career and saying, we turned this whole organization around. And mm-hmm. that is probably the biggest pat on the back I could ever get. Those other names are pretty memorable. Willie oh, Mays, yeah. Willie McCovey. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand you it? another photo yeah. here right now. This is probably my favorite one in the archive. Yeah, I got this in my office. Um, you know, it's Willie Mays, Willie McCovey, and myself. You know, you, you, we were talking about the, you know, the numbers and all that. And you go back and you look at not only the Mays, McCovey, Orlando, Cepeda, you know, Gaylord Perry, Juan Marichal, not only those gentlemen, but then you go back to the Bill Terry, Melot, you know, Carl Hubble. I mean, it's it's in, incredible, this franchise and the amount of talent that's come through it. And you were telling us before we started recording that you have about 140 friends and family oh, coming in. Oh, at least, yeah. Is this I got, like a I huge, got, yeah. I got reunion? half of Louisiana coming. So <laughs> we're going to, they're all, matter of fact, they're, today is uh, Thursday. They're all arriving today. So my phone's blowing up, needless to say. They're like, we're here. I'm like, so am I. <laughs> Are your kids going to be here? Oh, yeah. Cool. Oh, yeah. They, they came out with me. Um, my son's uh, hanging out right now. I'm going to go. Uh, grab him, and we'll we'll be at the game tonight. And uh, my daughter and wife, I know that they had to uh, run out and do some last minute shopping, so they're doing that. Nice. Well, we have a few front pages for you. I think Heather's going to videotape if that's possible. Okay. All right. What I'd love for you to do is just if I hand it to you, you can hold it up and share a memory if you have one. Um, these are all Chronicle Sporting Greens, and there you go. That's your. First home run against Nolan Ryan, and we weren't there. It was on the road. But, okay. uh, yeah, we, I didn't. I didn't see this because, needless to say, we were on the road. Um, you know, to to start off your your career, I guess you want to say homering off of Nolan Ryan, your first at bat. Uh, that's uh, what fairy tales are made of, you know. And and uh, but it was a great way to get the uh, the thrilling gear. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, this is one of my favorite uh, moments, Will Clark moments. I had this on the VCR and was rewinding it over and over again. <laughs> so this is a fight that we had in St. Louis. Uh, I slid into second base and uh, made some contact with uh, Jose Okendo, who was the second baseman of the St. Louis Cardinals at the time. And um, he kind of hit me in the helmet and I came up and we went to blows, and uh, yeah, it's one of them things that happened back in the day. But uh, uh, the funny story about that is when I got traded to the Cardinals at the end of my career, Jose Akendo was my third base coach. And we went out and had you know several beers together and laughed and giggled and just said, hey, that was, that's the way the game was back then. You know, um, you know they, they say that baseball is not a contact sport, but there's a lot of contact going on. You know, I, I – looked at that again i had it on a vcr and we we were looking at it like zapruder film i mean we're just absolutely checking out what happened where yeah you had four guys you were taking on at one point it was you and four guys and you're swinging (laughs) and then candy maldonado comes 
comes flying like a WWE wrestler, yeah, yeah, like doing yeah. some kind of flying. So Candy, Candy was the gentleman that hit the ground ball. So when he saw what was going on, he made a beeline and he jumped on the pile. And I know he took out Ozzy Smith. And then in in that video, if you ever see the video, the next person that's in the pile is Dusty Baker, who was my hitting instructor at the time. And I was like, "Geez," I said, "How the hell did you get out here that quick?" So that was it was pretty good. All right, I got one more, a couple more here. All uh, right, this one is not a brawl. Uh, oh, so this is this is game one of the '89 uh, NLCS, and went four for four with uh, six RBIs and a grand slam was in there and all that sort of stuff. And the story that I got to say about that is um, I read Greg Maddox's lips when I was in the on-deck circle, my third at bat, right before I hit the grand slam. And so I got the pitch that I was looking for because I was reading his lips. And then the next year, that's when everybody started putting their gloves up in front of their face to, to hide their lips at start it. And I was like, man, I shouldn't have told nobody. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I mean, as a fan, you know, and that was back when not everybody made the, the, the playoffs. It was a small group. I remember thinking, well, I'm a Giants fan and we're doing great and we've gotten better, but we're never going to win a playoff game. I mean, there was a psychological <laughs> block and you broke that. It was, it was, I appreciate you know, it. Thanks. 11 bases. There's a, uh, there's a time in, in most ball games and especially in these kind of games where one swing can like put like a nail in the coffin. And that was, that was kind of it for that game one. You know, it was a back and forth game up until that point. Mm-hmm. And that grand slam sort of shot us way in front of the lead. And uh, we went on to play really well after that. Yeah, I remember it. Uh, one more here. Okay. Hopefully this isn't triggering. It's Oh, Lord. Loma so I get, I get asked about this a lot. This is the 1989 uh, earthquake with the World Series. Uh, needless to say, we had to put the World Series on hold for for ten days. But on top of that, um, the one thing that I that sticks with me till this day, and I remember it vividly, was thank goodness we were having the World Series at that time because it was the Bay Bridge World Series. Everybody was at home getting ready to watch it on TV, or they were at the ballpark, one or the other. And that freeway that collapsed over there in Oakland, it had 20,000 people dead over there if, if it was just a regular routine, uh, you know, day in, during rush hour. So, you know, it was almost, thank God, the, the series was going on because the lo- loss of life could have been a lot worse. Yeah. Well, we're not going to end on a downer. No. Like <laughs> no, I make positives out of everything. You're the one that handed me this. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's an upper. My... Dad, John Knight, listens to this podcast and asked me to tell you, hello, congratulations. He raised me and my sister as huge Giants fans. We watched you all the time when we were little girls. Oh, and great. So he just wanted to extend his well, best tell wishes. Mr. John I said <laughs> hello and tell him I appreciate him sticking with us for all those years yeah. and buying his daughters the hot cocoa on those miserable <laughs> nights. And I, I didn't approach you ever when I saw you when I was younger but what I would have said is that I we went to those games and in our heads the Giants couldn't win I mean my childhood was entirely (laughs) losing and then on top of that there was also this even when the Niners won they said oh they're wine sippers they're a finesse team 
<laughs> when you came in, you had this attitude that was like all of that went in the past. Yeah. I mean, you absolutely yeah. had this confidence that was infectious and you were a badass. And suddenly we got to feel like a little bit of a badass too being in the stands yeah. and it, it changed the culture and changed you know, me as a fan, I mean, I think part of the reason why I'm wearing socks with a little bit of orange in it at age 51 is I still <laughs> feel like that kid and can identify with the team. And I think you were the biggest part of that. Well, um, I appreciate so that. So I just want to thank you thank for you. that. No, I, um, you know, from the get-go, you know, my dad my dad told me about, you know, competition. And we, we competed all the time in everything. And I, till this day, hate to lose. And I've only been on one losing team my entire life. All right. I don't lose. I win. And I want to have others around me be winners. And, uh, you know, did that in high school. We won four back to back to back back state championships. Uh, college, we win the top five the whole time I was in Mississippi State. And then we get to Fresno. When I showed up in Fresno, we were in last place. We turned it around. We went 50 and 15 in the second half and we wound up winning the Cal League. And then when I got to the big leagues, I'm like, I'm not, we're not losing. We are not losing. And we didn't. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. This and was so fun. It was good to meet you in person. Oh, same here. Same here. I hope you all uh, have fun with the podcast in the future, too. Yeah. yeah. And we'll, we'll be watching you on we're Saturday. We're both going to be here Saturday. So. Oh, well, <laughs> you and uh, all of those crazies we talked about from Louisiana we'll will be here, too. Yeah, we're going to... We're gonna have a lot of fun. It'll be it'll be really really a great experience, not only for myself but also the fans, because you know I tell a lot of people this that everybody that supported us in Candlestick are now our season ticket holders here, yeah. and so you know it, it's really good doing what I do for the organization and getting a chance to connect with those fans, and then now I get a chance to be out on the field, and you know the organization's gonna honor me, but I'm gonna honor a lot of other people. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank My you. pleasure. Thank you for listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Total SF is a production of the Chronicle. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by investing in a digital Chronicle edition. It's less expensive than you think at sfchronicle.com slash pod.